Matthew chapter 28, page 989. Here we are, the first Sunday in September, commemorating the death of summer. (laughs) Though this week was nice, but where were you all my summer, summer? Uh, And uh, it's time to get back to business. Children are back in school. Life is ramping up. People are back from vacation. It's that time of year in the New England life cycle. And uh, it's also a time for our church to sort of come back to life in terms of our efforts and our ministries and our programs. Really, the, the first Sunday after Labor Day is kind of the new year in the life of the church. This is when Bible studies that have been on hiatus all summer or ministries that have taken summer off you know, start back up and people start getting back into the swing of things. People come back from vacation. So I, I thought it would be a, a very fitting this Sunday to, as we kind of kick off the New Year's of church, to introduce you to uh, our, our, I guess we're calling our spiritual focus for this year. Um, last year, uh, if you remember, for those who were here, we, we, for the first time, we kind of picked a spiritual focus for the whole church. Uh, in fact, see how effective this was. Do you remember what it was last year? Uh, closer, if you remember that. The, the, the theme was closer. We talked about it throughout the year. And, and really, it was a call for all of us. The subtitle was Drawing Closer to One Another and Drawing Closer to the Lord in Prayer. So that as we did all kinds of things in the church, as we had all kinds of Bible studies and ministries and activities and the youth group and the children's, there was kind of this overarching, you might call, a spiritual growth goal where we were all together, whatever else we were doing, trying to lean into what does it mean to, to not just come to church, but, but to be family in a community? And, and what does it mean to, for us to press in closer in our relationship with the Lord? So we want to uh, hold before you another theme this year, as, as this year the elders have been praying and the pastoral staff, we've been having conversations and saying, you know, what would the Lord have us focus on this year? And so our theme this year is uh, something we're calling Engage. And the subtitle for this theme is Giving the Gospel Person to Person. This is a year where we want to focus our church and sort of, again, amidst all the other things we're doing, and there's lots going on, to kind of have an overall corporate goal to say we want to grow this year in our personal evangelism, in sharing the gospel with others, in bringing the gospel to people who don't know Christ, to to join with God in this task of making disciples without losing hold of the closer thing. It's not like, well, now it's a new year, so stop being close, you know, just go back to being individualistic. No, no, keep that. Take what we've gained and let's build on it. Now, Now that we've become stronger as a community, now move outward and begin thinking about how we can impact the world around us. Uh, or think about it this way. Last year, we were trying to be intentional about relationships inside the church. This year, we want to now add to that and think about how to be intentional with our relationships outside of the church. Uh, and so, if you'll notice in your bulletin, uh, you got one of these. Uh, look, look inside your bulletin. It's a bulletin within the bulletin. And inside that, you'll see this uh, Engage uh, bulletin. Very nice artwork. Looks great. Very slick and snazzy. I like Make sure you take this home, put this on your refrigerator, put this on your mirror in your bathroom, put this over your computer, put this inside your locker, wherever it is you'll see it, just kind of remind you, yeah, this is something that we're calling the church to focus on this year. 
Um, you'll see engaged there on the front, giving the gospel person to person. If you look on the inside, I, th- there's a simple little thing here that says ways to engage. And here are some simple ways that we are kind of calling us all to be in, engaged in engaging with the gospel. Um, so the four there, dive into Acts using our weekly study guide. So this year, I'm going to be preaching through the book of Acts. Because what's Acts about? It's about that explosive outward motion of the early church. And, and looking at that and saying, what does it mean to be a church that is engaged in the world for the gospel? book of Acts is a great picture of that. Um, and so there's going to be study guides for that. Uh, or even better yet, join an Acts growth group. You'll hear more about that in the next coming couple weeks. But, but for those of you who've never been a part of a growth group, it's a Bible study that meets outside of church, people's homes very often. And, and we talk about the, the thing we're studying on Sunday morning. So it's a chance to dig in deeper and to learn there. Here's one we would love everyone to do. Pick one person. You can pick more, but pray for one person this year that you're going to pray for daily who doesn't know Christ and pray for an opportunity to either share the gospel with them or read the Bible with them, something like that. Maybe you want to put their name on a little three-by-five and stick that on your bathroom mirror underneath the engage. I mean, you won't be able to see much to shave anymore, but, but at least you'll, you'll have those things in front of you in the morning as you're brushing your teeth. And then uh, finally, attend the one-to-one Bible reading training during the Sunday school in the fall, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But we want to train you all on how to do one-to-one Bible reading with people. So, so we not only want to say, hey, get out there and engage, but we want to give you the tools and equipment and skills to do that. So um, why, why did we pick this topic anyway? Where, where did this come from? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why this is a fitting topic. One is that uh, I'm guessing most of us here feel kind of not great at personal evangelism. You talk to most Christians, personal evangelism, yes. How are you at it? Hmm, not good. Uh, faith's kind of a private thing. I don't really know how to do that. And, and so it's one of those things where we feel good, but that we, we should be doing it, but we don't, so it's kind of a guilt thing. So already you're hearing Engage this year, and you're like, oh, why did you pick Engage? Oh, wow, that's tough. I think another reason why this is a fitting topic is, is because I, I think as the elders talked and the elders prayed, and we were saying, you know, where's our church spiritually? Where are some of the strong points? Where are some of the weak points? One of the weak points that the elders consistently talked about as we were sort of assessing our own spiritual lives in this life of our church is that this can be a church where it's easy to be a passive consumer. It's a church where you can come and receive good feeding, good teaching, good fellowship, good ministries, and then just kind of, hmm, that's it. And so I think we have to kind of push ourselves to say, okay, that's great, but how do we turn that and leverage that to then be useful in our, our community, in our world. And there's a huge need out there. You know, the South Shore of Boston is a ridiculous mission field. It's right here. You know, get in your car and drive 20 miles in any direction. I mean, not the ocean, stop. <laughs> but, you know, go any direction, 20 miles, right? You, what you could do. And, and in that kind of circle, literally hundreds of thousands of people you know, this is not rural Iowa. This is a major metropolitan kind of area. Hundreds of thousands of people around us in great spiritual need. Uh, you know, there's different surveys they do about the spiritual condition of the country, and Gallup does a thing every year, and, and you know, the, the numbers fluctuate. But, but when you look at, like, for instance, how many people in Massachusetts go to church on a regular basis? We're talking any church, Protestant, Catholic, Unitarian, whatever, it's, it's usually like around 15% or lower. Um, 
If you, if you ask the question, how many people go to a church that's you know, a little more narrowly defined, the church where, that you might call evangelical, that, that really does hold to the Bible the way we do, and that, that preaches the gospel, that says that the way you're saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, and, and a church that believes that, you're now talking like, you know, the numbers I've seen are like 2% of the population. So this is a massive mission field. There's so much opportunity for us here to engage. The need is great. But perhaps the greatest reason that we need to engage, the overarching reason, even more than our own insecurities about evangelism, even more than our own unique church's personality, or even more than the need around us, the most important reason to engage is that this is at the center of the mission that Jesus Christ has given to His church. That to be a faithful church, to be true followers of Jesus, this has to be at the core of our calling and our identity. So I want to take you to a familiar passage, perhaps perhaps one you've seen before. If this is unfamiliar, oh, I'm so excited for you. This is a key passage. Matthew chapter 28, page 989. And we're going to look at this passage that is, has been dubbed the Great Commission. Let me read these verses and then we'll talk about them. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just by way of background, uh, this is the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus. And, And here we are at the very last chapter of the very last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. This is the end of the story. So at at this point, if you've been reading Matthew cover to cover, you'd have seen the whole life of Jesus. Jesus' birth, His younger years, His um, public ministry, His miracles, His teaching, all that, His imprisonment, his, His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and now the resurrected Jesus, who is about to ascend back to heaven where He is today, gives His final words. These are literally the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And so, as you can imagine, they're very important. Uh, You know, anytime you come to the final words, the final thought, this is the wrap-up. This is the conclusion. And so, you have to conclude well, and Matthew does really well. These are the final words of Jesus. And so, they're very important. They're very weighty. And here in these final words, Jesus gives His final commission. He's now ascending back into heaven. He's not going to be on earth with us physically for now. And so, what are we supposed to do if we're His followers? Well, He's telling us. This is the mission He gives to the disciples. So, there's the disciples. They gather. They worship Him. There's still some doubt. They still got to be strengthened a little bit more. And then Jesus says these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age." And and what I really want to emphasize here is that this idea of engaging, again, this idea of taking the gospel person to person 
is not a random theme that was pulled out of the church theme hat. This is Christ's mission given to the church. And we're trying to find a way of of doing that. And we're seeing, hey, this may be a a place where there is opportunity and, and maybe some weaknesses in our church. And we want to push our church to grow in evangelism in this way because this is what Christ has called us to do. So if you look at these verses then, they kind of form a sandwich. Jesus' words are a sandwich. You have the commission itself in verses 19 and a little bit into 20. There's the commission to go and make disciples. But then it's sandwiched between two statements that Jesus says about himself. So you have the command to us, but then in verse 18, there's something Jesus says about himself. And at the end of verse 20, there's something he says about himself. So it's the great commission sandwich with truth on either side and the commission in the middle. So I just want to work our way down the sandwich, starting with the top, starting with the first thing Jesus says about himself, so that we can understand what he's calling us to do. He says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me read that again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You need to let those words really sink in. Do you hear what he's saying? That's ridiculous. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I mean, who talks like that? Right? People who are not in touch with reality talk like that. And gods talk like that. Those are the only two people who talk like that. And here's Jesus saying, I have how much authority? All. He has all authority. And then as if that wasn't huge enough, he says, just to make sure we understand, he says, all authority where? In heaven and on earth, which is kind of a biblical way of saying the whole universe. It reminds me of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, first chapter, first verse, very first verse of the Bible. How does the Bible start? In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And here's Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. He has all authority in heaven. All the angels are under his authority. All the spiritual forces are under his authority. All the hostile spiritual powers, the devil and all his minions, under the authority of Jesus Christ. He rules the spiritual realm. And he reigns on earth. The nature is under his authority. Molecules are under his authority. The laws of physics bend to his will. Every king is under his authority. Every ruler, every, every president, every prime minister under the authority of Jesus. He has authority over them. Every selectman, every school council member, every homeroom teacher, every father, every mother, all authority is under Jesus. He has it all in heaven and on earth. And this really fits the theme of Matthew's gospel. You know, it, we're kind of parachuting in the end of Matthew's gospel. But if we had been studying through Matthew's gospel like chapter by chapter like we often do, one of the themes running through Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is, in fact, the awaited Messiah of Israel, that he is, in fact, the, the son of David who is going to come and be king, and now he's finally come and the Messiah of Israel is here. But here's this king now saying, I have authority. But he's more than just a, a king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. 
He's, he has divine authority. Which is why in verse 17, when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him. Now that's remarkable. For monotheistic people to worship a man is a total contradiction. I mean, some of you here, I don't know if anyone here is raised Jewish. Maybe some of you here are raised in a Muslim background. You, you monotheistic. You know there's one God. And so to imagine Jews, monotheistic Jews, worshiping a man. This is like their heads are blowing up. What? You don't worship. You worship the Lord alone. But who is this man? He's the God-man. He's God the man, God in human flesh. And they worshiped him. Why? Because he's risen from the dead and he has all authority. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules heaven. He rules earth. All the keys are in his hands. Whatever he opens, you can't shut. Whatever he shuts, you can't open. Whatever he does, you can't undo. Whatever he undoes can't be done. He's the king and all authority is his. And I know this, I'm kind of getting fired up on this theme, but you know, I mean, I know we're talk, supposed to talk about engage, all right, that's great, but if, if your brain is kind of fuzzy this morning and you're feeling tired and you're having a tough time concentrating and you're like, I really can't remember much of this sermon, okay, don't even remember engage, just remember this verse, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's who Jesus Christ is. And that has massive implications for our lives. We could riff on this theme for weeks, that Jesus has all authority. We could spend a whole fall on that theme and what it would mean for us. I mean, just like if, if I was in a conscious awareness that Jesus had all authority, how would it affect my praying? If I was living in a conscious awareness at all times of Jesus' authority, how would it affect my living and my obedience? How would it affect the way I look at my workplace and all the problems there? If I knew that He had authority over all things in my faith. But here's the thing I want to focus on is who has the authority to tell the church what its mission is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus' authority. He has the authority to say what the church is supposed to be about. He's the one who tells us what our commission is. Jesus alone. The mission of the church is not something that is determined by the senior pastor. I have vast power, it's true. (laughs) But I don't have that power. I'm not able to say, church, I'm going to tell you what your mission is. The board of elders don't have the power to say what the mission of the church is. The the church doesn't have the power to say what the mission of the church is. We're going to have our members meeting right after this. You know, and if someone put a motion on the floor and said, I move that the mission of the church be blah, 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 and we had a debate and voted it, we don't have the right to do that. Christ alone has the authority to set the mission of His church. And so what's the mission that He's given us? Well, let's now look at the Great Commission, verses 19 and a little bit into 20. This is the, the famous passage where He gives us the famous Great Commission, and this is where we're looking and seeing our engaged theme here. Therefore, verse 19, in light of the fact that I have all authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
There's the commission. There's four key commands or or verbs in this passage. Therefore, go. That's number one. Number two, make disciples of all nations. Number three, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number four, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So go, make disciples, baptize, teach. All four of those uh, are, are part of this great commission. Now here's a pop quiz. Some of you know the answer to this already because you've heard the sermons on this before. Uh, some of you may have heard this, but you've forgotten. Some of you have never heard this, so this will be fun. So you have, these four, you have these four words, go, make disciples, baptize, teach. In Greek, only one of the words is actually the main command of the passage. The other words all modify the main command. So, so uh, what, what do you think is the main command of this passage? It's actually to make disciples. You would think go, like go, but it's not. It's kind of like as you go, make disciples and baptizing and teaching. So the main command of the Great Commission is to make disciples, and the words go, baptize, and teach are expressions of things you do as part of the process of making disciples. I mean, you do more than that, but these are just the ones that Jesus lists here. And, and he, he sort of shows us how disciple-making is taking place. So they're kind of modifying and helping f- uh, flesh out making disciples. So let's start with the main command then, to make disciples. This is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to, to worship the Lord. As we talked about last Sunday, job one of the church is to worship God. And then, as we look out into the world, and we look at our own hearts, it's to continue to make disciples of Christ. I mean, you see it here in this passage, verse 17, they worshiped Him. That's job one of the church, to worship God. And then we look out into the world and we make disciples of all nations. That's important because it means that that Christ has given us the mission of the church. In fact, if you take out your uh, bulletin, not not the Engage one, but the the one that Engage came wrapped in, the, the the regular bulletin. Do you ever notice on the front, there's a logo, there's South Shore Baptist Church, and then we have our mission statement there. I get one of these bulletins every week. I, I never read that mission statement. Look at that. There it is. South Shore Baptist Church exists to glorify God. That's the purpose of everything, to glorify God. How? By worshiping Him, by making disciples for Christ from the people of the South Shore and beyond starting with ourselves and looking outwards to others. That's why we're here. And so Christ has given us the mission of the church. It's really important to keep that mission clear. Uh, those of you who are in organizations, who are in businesses, you're familiar with you know, mission, mission leakage and vision leakage, how easy it is for organizations to kind of forget their mission and forget their vision and what they're called to do. It can happen in the church too happens in our lives. We forget why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. Um, different visions can sort of nose their way into the church. You know, sometimes people say, well, the mission of the church is also to kind of change society and make society a better place. That's not the mission of the church. It's to make disciples. Now, are true disciples of Jesus the kind of people who make an impact on society? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Are true disciples of Jesus the kind of people who have concern for social needs and for justice and for those in, in, in need? Absolutely. But the mission of the church is to make disciples. That's what Christ has called us to do. That's what we uniquely have. Non-Christians can work to make the world a better place, but non-Christians don't have the gospel. They can't make disciples of Jesus. That's the calling of the church. And there are lots of wonderful results that flow from that, including social and human betterment. But the unique thing that God has given to the church is the gospel, to make disciples of Jesus. What does that mean to make a disciple? Who is a disciple? Well, you know how a disciple works. Uh, you know, there's the teacher or the master, you know, the, the Jedi master, and then there's the Padawan learner. <laughs> there's the disciple. And the disciple imitates the master. The disciple learns the teachings of the master and is able to regurgitate the teachings of the master. The disciple starts to copy the master. You, you know when you've seen two people and like one guy's or one, one lady is the kind of the disciple of the other and they pick up the mannerisms? They pick up the figure, figures of speech. You, you know, I've, I've even you know, met uh, I, I know, you know, pastors that I know and who I respect, and, I, and you see young interns who've been raised in that church and taught in that church, and sometimes they even take on the mannerisms and the figures of speech and even like the dress habits of the pastor they've been trained under. And maybe some of you have been trained under, apprenticed under people in your own businesses and careers. It's, it's a normal human thing. Children are the disciples of their parents. Whether they want to be or not, they end up being like their parents. We have that impact. It's a natural pattern of disciple and master or teacher. And so to make disciples is to make disciples of people who follow Jesus. We want people who obey Jesus, look like Jesus, live like Jesus, value what Jesus valued, and understand what he taught. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be a disciple of Jesus. And who, who are we supposed to make disciples of? Who, who's our target audience? Look at verse 19. Make disciples of who? All nations. I love that. All nations. You know? Whew. Sometimes churches say, well, who's our target audience? You know, someone's got to reach the bikers. Let's make a biker-friendly church. Well, our target audience is millennials. What do millennials want? Let's make a millennial-targeted church. Well, we really want to reach out to this group in our community. Let's make a church targeted to them. Jesus has already told us who our target audience is. All nations. You know? So if, if you're part of all nations, you're someone that Jesus wants to make into a disciple of his own. That's who the church should be reaching out to, is all people's. Jesus wants followers and disciples from the Jews and the Gentiles. He wants disciples from Irish and Italian. He wants disciples from Hutus and Tutsis. He wants disciples from Shias and Sunnis and Sufis. Jesus wants Chinese disciples and Korean disciples and Japanese disciples. He wants disciples from every nation and every tongue. And he will have them. Because he has all authority. And his gospel will gather his people for whom he died. Nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is gathering his disciples. So don't you see that, that this call to make disciples and to gather people in really is just an expression of his kingship. 
You know, you look at, you go, okay, Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, then why does the world look so out of control? Where is Jesus? Why isn't he ruling over this stuff if he has authority? Oh, he is. He's just doing it his own way in his own time, as God often does, his own way in his own time. And the way that Jesus is exerting his kingship in the world today is through the gospel. So, so as a person comes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and to repent of their sins and see their need of the Savior and look to Jesus as that person becomes a disciple, the kingdom of God has now grown as the authority of Christ has been recognized by another rebel. And that rebel has been brought in. And then even for us who are followers of Jesus, there's still a lot of rebellion in here. And so as, as the Word of God keeps working in our lives and we become more and more like Jesus, the kingdom of God is not only growing out and pulling people into Him, but He's also working down into our souls and our lives and our marriages and our singleness and our workplaces and our thoughts and our attitudes and our emotions, coming all under the authority of Jesus. So the kingdom of God is coming today, but it's coming at the way and the pace and the, the strategy that Jesus wants, which is humbly and gently. You know, right there in Matthew 28 could have been the end of the world. Jesus could have said, that's it. All authority is mine. I'm risen. It's over. Boom. The kingdom has come. But then you know what? He wouldn't have had worshipers from every nation. And that's what he wants and that's what he deserves. So he's like, okay, this is going to be a while before the end of the world. And in this intervening period, while I'm gone, you guys make disciples. Be about this business of engaging people with the gospel person to person and telling people about Christ. And I just ask the question, pause a little bit. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I didn't ask, do you believe in God? Hope you do. But it's more than that. Nor did I ask, are you religious or are you spiritual? Because everyone today claims to be spiritual, but what does that really mean? I'm asking, are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you come to see that you're a sinner, lost and separated from God, but that God has sent His Son, Jesus, to die for your sins? As we just sang in that song, I I love that line, He came to bear my cross. He carried my sins. And He rose again. Do you believe that? And, And have you not only just said, wow, Jesus is the Savior, but have you surrendered your life to that Savior and put your faith in that Savior? And are you now submitted to that King? to follow Him and to learn what it means to be a citizen of His kingdom? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you, as a result of His work in your life, are you slowly but surely looking more and more like Him over the days and weeks and years? Are you being transformed? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Jesus wants disciples. His kingdom is moving out heart to heart and life to life, transforming people for the gospel. All right, let's look... Quickly then, those other words, making disciples, engaging one-to-one. That's what we're called to do. That's the mission He's given the church. Let's look at those other three words. Therefore, go and make disciples. So part of making disciples means you've got to go. You can't sit around and wait for discipleship to land in your lap. You have to go. That might mean that God is going to call you to go to another land, another country, another culture, That's exciting. It might mean that God is calling you to go across your homeroom or your cafeteria to that kid that for whatever reason you've just had this nagging feeling 
that they need somebody and they need to be encouraged. And you go over and say, hey, what's your name again? You start talking to them. Maybe that's where God's calling you to go. Maybe he's calling you to go across the office. Or maybe he's calling you to go next door to the person next door. But, but to make disciples, you have to be active. You have to initiate. Discipleship typically doesn't just come and land in your lap. Even if someone comes and knocks on your door, you know, you still have to engage. You still have to do more than like, oh, we don't want any, you know, click. You've got to, even if someone comes to the door, you have to go and, and engage them and start talking to that person. Going is part of making disciples. And so there's an initiative here. We, we will never go and make disciples if our whole lives are completely filled with our own hobbies, our own interests, and just the people in church that we like. You won't ever make a disciple, or you won't ever be a part of that task because you won't have been engaged with anybody who needs the gospel. I love this little artwork on the front of the Engage cover, the two people with the bubbles talking, you know, just that's how it is. There's this face, faceless humanity out there, but then in God's providence, He brings someone into your life, and you start talking. That's how, God's, that's how God's kingdom is growing. It's crazy. That's how He's doing it. Look at that third uh, on the inside, ways to engage. Here's, here's a good go command. Look at the third one down with the, the two hands. Pray for a person who doesn't know Christ and read the Bible with them. No, has God laid someone on your heart? Maybe that's something you've got to do after this sermon is just start praying this week. God, who would you like me to reach out to? Lord, maybe it's somebody that I kind of am not thinking of. They're off my radar, but they're on your radar. Who is that? Where is God calling you to go? To what place? Maybe a hard place. Maybe a surprising place. Maybe in your own home. Maybe among your friends. I don't know. You never know how God is going to work. But who would God have you reach out to and start praying for that person and for opportunities to share Christ with them, to love them, to serve them, maybe even to read the Bible with them if they'd be open to, to that. But you have to go. It takes initiative. If you sit and wait for it to happen, it won't. Make disciples, go. Here's the next one, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is a little further beyond our, our engaged focus this year, but, but uh, that's another part of disciple-making. You don't only make disciples, you've got to mark disciples. And the way you mark disciples is through baptism. And so that reminds us that, that discipleship also involves a local church. That to make a disciple of Jesus is not just to win a convert and have someone say, okay, I'll believe in Jesus. But then it's, okay, now you need to be marked and be brought into a local church. And that church is there to help grow you up in your faith. And so that's why missions, you know, what is missions? We talk about missions and doing missionary work. I mean, the heart of missionary work is, and we'll see this in the book of Acts again and again and again, is going to people preaching the gospel, God saves whom he'll save, those saved people are gathered into a church. That's missions. Evangelize, congregate, multiply. That's the plan. We'll see that over and over in the book of Acts. Maybe that's your discipleship step. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've never become a member of a local church. Maybe that's a step for you this year. Maybe you know somebody who who is, says they believe in Jesus, but they haven't, like, okay, well, then why haven't you been baptized? Come on, let's go. Keep growing, keep growing. And you can encourage somebody along as you make disciples. And then here's the third one. 
Verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So again, and again, this gets a little bit beyond our engaged focus where we're really talking about evangelism. But even people who are evangelized have to keep growing in their knowledge. I've, I've been following Jesus for several decades now, and I still need to grow in my obedience to Jesus. So discipleship's really a lifelong process, isn't it? Discipleship really doesn't end until you die. You, you know, when, when you're facing your death, it's like the last test of discipleship. Will I be faithful to the very end? And so we're always growing in our obedience all the way to the end. So discipleship is that whole process. And, and again, that's why the church is so important because that's where we are taught to obey and then go out into the world and obey the commands of Jesus Christ. Um, again, if you look at the Engage Guide, we're going to be studying the book of Acts. Maybe you feel like, boy, I just I don't know a lot about the Bible. I'm kind of new to this whole thing. That's Okay. That's discipleship. We're all just growing from wherever we're at. You know, join a growth group. Study the book of Acts. Don't just hear me preach on it or whoever's preaching on it. You know, get with some other people and dig into it and, and ask questions and, and work it out in your own life. Or even better, look at the one on the bottom. You see the arrow? Attend one-to-one Bible reading training. All right, so I'm, I'm super stoked about this. Super stoked. So in, at the end of September 28th, when regular Sunday school starts, during the Sunday school hour, we're going to have a five-week training session on how to read the Bible one-on-one with another person. It's, it's super hands-on, super practical. And you're like, oh, I don't know. How could I read the Bible one-on-one with another person? I don't know anything about the Bible. Listen, if you're, if you're here every Sunday listening to sermons, you know more about the Bible than most people out there. Most people know, like, nowadays, sadly, they know zilch. And so it, you'll know, you'll, you'll seem like a genius to them. You'll seem like a seminary professor to them. So just, it doesn't matter. Just take what you got and read it. And if they're like, what does that mean? You can say, I don't know, I'll find out. I'll tell you next week. (laughs) You know, just read the Bible with people. But we want to teach you how to read the Bible with people. It's super simple. And sometimes you have a chance to to, to talk to someone about Jesus, and and sometimes you can share the gospel right there, let them know that that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Christ died and rose again and they need to put their faith in Jesus. But sometimes you might just say, well, you know, if you've got questions, have you ever thought of reading the Bible? I'd be willing to read the Bible with you. And they'll either say, uh, I'm all set, okay, whatever, we're used to that. Or they might say, you know what, yeah, I've always wanted to know more about the Bible. You'd read the Bible with me? Yeah. Okay, how do we do it? Well, I'll tell you in a couple weeks after I take the class. <laughs> but we'll teach you how to do it. Put that one in your, uh, in, in your memory bank. But again, disciple making is teaching God's Word and teaching people to live it and obey it and practice it. So we really want to equip you, and I want to equip myself, because this is the mission that Christ has given the church. This engage idea, again, is not a random idea that was pulled out of the hat full of church possible themes. Oh, that looks good. This is what Christ is calling His church to do and to be to be a disciple-making community, to win people to Christ through the gospel, and then to build people up in the gospel in obedience so that they look more and more like Jesus. That's our calling. It's exciting. Frankly, it's a little intimidating. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I, I, I read this, and I'm, I'm here, here I am. I'm preaching it to you. But there's another part of my brain where my heart's pumping a little bit, going, okay, because I'm... I'm keep-to-myself kind of guy. I'm not a supernatural evangelist. 
I'm great. If you give me a week to prepare a sermon, put me on the spot with someone, and I'm often like, ah, hmm, I'll, I'll know what to say after I leave this conversation. Then it'll all come to me. So I, I feel this is just an area in my life I really need to grow. I really need this myself. And that's why I'm so encouraged by the last sentence of this verse, verse 20. Here's the end of the sandwich where Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We can engage with confidence because not only does Jesus have all authority, but He is with us. Not will be with us, is with us now until the end of the age. And So this isn't Jesus up on high saying, hey, you church down there, get busy making disciples. I'll be back in an hour to grade you. This is Jesus saying, I'm the Lord, make disciples of all nations, gather people to me, and I'm with you. I'm with you. We're going to see when we get to the book of Acts, the whole thing in the book of Acts is it's all about the risen Christ ruling over His church through the Holy Spirit and the gospel moving forward because Jesus is sovereignly pushing and empowering His church because He's with them. You know, we learn this in the Psalms of Ascent. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the watchman, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And unless Jesus is with us, Disciple-makers make disciples in vain. We need His power, His help. He needs to open the doors. He needs to turn us from wimps into lions. He needs to give us the words. We need Jesus if we're going to do His mission. And He's with us. And so the first step of engage is really to engage with Jesus Himself. That's the first step, is to say, Jesus, we need you, Jesus. We need your power. We need your, your presence. Jesus, we need to, to be gripped by the gospel ourselves. Jesus, we need to really see that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we need you to, to put people in our minds that you want us to reach out to this week or in the coming months. Jesus, we need you. To, to open up doors and opportunities and to make us alert so that when they happen, we don't miss it. We need you, Jesus, to have power so that when we do have that opportunity to share the gospel, that someone might come to know you, Jesus. I can't make anyone come to know you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. And he says, don't worry. I'm with you. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are both in all authority and you are also with us. You are the great king and you are also the best friend. You are super high and lifted up and you're also closer, closer than our own breath through your Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, we pray that you would be with us and that you would... Help us to grow this year as we seek to be more obedient to the Great Commission. We don't, some of us, Lord, we just hear this and don't even know where to start. This is totally overwhelming. 
So Jesus, we ask for your help. Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you use this church, Lord? Oh, there's so much gospel gunpowder packed into this church. And there's such a massive need in the world around us. Lord, would you, through your Spirit, light the fuse of this church and take all of the potential energy that's here and turn it into kinetic gospel energy for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. Oh, Lord, when we stand before you on that day, we pray that there would be many people from the Boston area who are numbered among your disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.